Forever. Bringing the underground to the foreground. BFF.FM, Best Frequencies Forever. I'm Lily Sloan, and I'm a psychotherapist in San Francisco. And this is a show where we talk about the intersection of psychotherapy, personal growth, and activism. If you want to join in the conversation, you can tweet at the show uh, at, at radical underscore advice. I'll be watching Twitter throughout, so feel free to, to join in. And Normally, this is the part where I'd say if you have life questions you want addressed at a future date, you could submit them anonymously at radicaladviceshow.com. You can. If any come in in the next week, maybe I will uh, address them on next week's show, which is the final show, the final show, the final broadcast of Radical Advice, which has been on the air since June of 2017 and it's time to bring things to a close so next week's show uh, is going to feature whoever drops by the studio (laughs) my fellow DJs uh, I know uh, station founder Cosmic Amanda should be around I believe Beatrix Gravesguard of the Astral Projection Radio Hour will come around. They've both been on the show before and have been terrific guests. And I'm just hoping anyone else um, 
you know, who's part of the station is is able to come by to kind of close out the show. And so if you do send in life questions, we'll be answering them for you and wrapping that up. Um, thank you so much for listening today. Any other day you've listened, it's um, been it's been really important for me to have this this outlet and this this place to talk about these topics, to feel my feelings, to cry about it all, <laughs> to make a lot of dumb jokes and share a lot of music that's important to me and and talk to really interesting people. So I'll definitely be talking about all of that a lot more next week. I didn't really have anything planned for today. But I do I do have a guest planned and at 10:30 Zara Zimbardo is going to be joining me. She has been on the show before. Actually, I believe it was maybe 2 2 years ago. She came on uh, right around Halloween to talk about zombies. And um, she she is a, a professor teaching media studies and um, sociology, and she has she does a really a lot of interesting research around the way that certain symbols or cultural phenomena kind of are are playing out in response to things that are happening in the culture. So I look I really look forward to talking to her today because we're going to talk about space colonization which is a topic I'm very interested in. And I will be playing some extra music for you today, before and after. And we've got a couple of listener questions, so just keep listening. So right now, we're going to do the thing where we just pause whatever we're doing and take a few minutes to notice our bodies, notice our breath, Notice what's happening in our minds. Something that can be really hard to get ourselves to do in the midst of the momentum of life and the anxieties of the brain, the constant need for movement and action. And like there's these extremes we're operating in. It's either we're, we're moving or we're needing to numb ourselves to stop and so there's something really active in this kind of passive uh, practice of meditation it's it's passive and active at the same time in a different way than just zoning out in front of a screen might be which is also completely legitimate use of your time no shade here So you can start by closing your eyes if that's an option for you. If it's not, it's not safe to do so. If you don't like it, leave your eyes open. Maybe hold a soft gaze if you're not driving or doing something that requires your eyeballs. And then you can just start noticing your breath.
You don't have to actively try to take different kinds of breaths. It's just about noticing what your breath is doing right now. And as you're breathing, you might be paying attention to even the, the really subtle sensations of that process of the inhalations and exhalations from moment to moment where you feel things rising and falling and air moving through you. Is there like a coolness to it as it hits your nostrils? Are there areas that feel a little bit tight? Notice the depth or the breadth, the breath of your breath. And it's really, really natural while you're doing this for your mind to slip away and start thinking about what's next, start planning, start worrying, judging. Your mind is doing its job, but sometimes it overworks. And so the goal of this isn't to clear your mind entirely, it isn't to stop your mind from ever doing that, but it's to have a sense of noticing when that happens and to have some choice around bringing yourself back to the moment bringing yourself back to what's actually present right here Stay here, keep breathing, keep your eyes closed or whatever, whatever amount of openness they are. Or you can start to take in your surroundings a little bit. Maybe even take an intentional deep breath. And that's it. That's that's the only time you ever have to do that ever again in your life. I think I think that's how it works. I think you do it one time and you have meditated. Your meditation practice is done. So I, like I said, I'm really excited to bring in Zara Zimbardo, who's going to join at 1030. And right now we're going to hear a little bit of music. Um, 
I haven't listened through the whole thing yet because I've been afraid of my feelings. But I did finally start to listen to a couple more songs on the new FKA Twigs album. Um, when her first single from that came out several months ago, um, Cellophane. I played it on the show, but I also, it just destroyed me, <laughs> like like completely destroyed me. And so I was a bit nervous about taking in an entire album like that. But I finally listened to some of the songs. And, and actually it's it's not, I think I built it up so much that it's not as just, it's not as emotionally destructive as I thought it might be. Um, but here is another one from that album, and it's called Home With You. I'm so wired for seeing it, tried it, I die for you. On the terms when I get my lessons, learned apples, cherries, pain, breathe in, breathe out pain. No, 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 the king still maintain my grace. How come the more you have, the more the people want from you? More you burn away, the more the people earn from you. More you pull away, the more that they depend on you. I've never seen a hero like me in a sci-fi. So I wonder if you need to re-remember me. I wonder if you think that I can never raise you up. I wonder if you
I'm Forrest Guest, station engineer, and you're listening to BFF.FM. Oh, the cable's fucked up. You're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.FM. That was Home With You by FKA Twigs. I said this new album wasn't destroying me as I thought it would, as much as I thought it would, but um, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it is. <laughs> uh, that's a really beautiful, disjointed, uncomfortable song, which I don't know. All those elements really, really work for me. Um, so, like I said, this is the second to last show, and I have. I was having a lot of feelings about that this morning um, for various reasons. One, one of them was that my guest, Sara Zimbardo, um, was a victim of a horrible traffic jam that's happening in the East Bay right now. I think I looked it up and it looks like there was a big rig that jackknifed on the Bay Bridge. So <laughs> she was... She left her house with plenty of time and then sat in half an hour of traffic just waiting to even get on the freeway when we're like, okay, no, just go back home and we'll do this over video. So we're going to do that at 1030. But I I noticed just the like, mm, I guess, yeah, I guess sadness that, you know, this is the second to last show. And, you know, you know, when stuff like that happens and it's, oh, well, there's, you know, so many shows coming up whatever. Um, it doesn't have the same impact, but I, I think that it, it feels sad that I can't have my guest in the room with me, but I think it's still going to be a great conversation. And people who've listened before know I've had, um, video conversations, remote conversations with guests before. And, uh, Zara is such a terrific, uh, guest and thinker. Um, so I can't wait for that. But to prepare for that time, I'm going to play a few songs for you. So we're going to be talking about um, basically about space colonization. And the thing that I thought of as soon as Zara brought that up was, oh, this is one of my favorite topics, um, space. But... I actually realized I wanted to play more music today anyway because of that. And I think last year when we still had a show on the station called The Long Lunch Break and various DJs would fill in for that show um, that was started by Danny Scoville, who's been on this show a couple of times, uh, I did the really fun experiment of doing an entire audio drama fiction around a, a outer space-based playlist where I was broadcasting from space. And so I already had the music, though I ended up picking some different songs for today, um, which I'm just so glad so much space music exists. So I think it'll be a little bit of a mix of stuff I played and stuff I didn't. So I'm going to play you a few songs, and then I'm going to come back on with Zara Zimbardo. So here, starting us off, is Every Planet We Reach is Dead by the gorillas.
to BFF.fm, you're joining more than 800 of your friends and neighbors who also believe in the power of community radio to bring people together. So make your gift today at BFF.fm slash donate. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever. Oh, I didn't turn my mic on. You are listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. And I am joined here by Zara Zimbardo. Hey, can you hear me? I can see you. Oop, well, I lost her. While we're waiting for Zara to come back, um, I'll tell you what we were just listening to, which included... Um, Let's see. That was just Marching the Hate Machine into the Sun from Thievery Corporation. And that was a pick from Zara. So I will have her talk about that in a moment. And before that was uh, a remix of Moon by Bjork 
by the slips. And I love that so much. I just discovered that this morning and opened up that set with Every Planet We Reach is Dead, a classic from the Gorillas. And let me try, let me try Zara again. Let's see. Technology, it's the future. Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, there you are. Oh, you sound really good. Really? That's delightful to know. Yeah. You, you have really, <laughs> Given how glitchy things can be. You have a really nice FaceTime voice. Oh, hey. Wow. That's literally the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just don't use FaceTime enough. <laughs> I rarely use it. I'm a very slow adapter to it. So. Yeah, yeah. It took me a while. It took me a while to, yeah. It's like, wait, what is this thing? Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and it's completely amazing that we can be doing this right now. Totally, totally. It's the the next best thing to having you here in the studio <laughs> with me. Um, I hope it didn't take you as long to get home as it took you to get to nowhere. Um, it was a shorter time getting <laughs> to somewhere <laughs> than to nowhere. Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pleased to say. Yeah. Well, um, I I just, while we were having technical difficulties for a moment there, I was running through the songs I just played for people. But the, the one I just finished was your pick, Marching the Hate Machine into the Sun by Thievery oh. Corporation. And I wanted to hear a little more um, from you about uh, what that what that song represents and, and means. I included it oh. in a space playlist, but... Oh, I would love to hear the longer space playlist. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I first heard that song and was really listening to it a lot <laughs> in 2012, which mm. was this big year that lots of um, liberatory longings and apocalyptic fantasies were placed on. Yes, yes. <laughs> For, you know, there was this like massive... Um, non-Mayan appropriation of 2012 and the return mm -hmm. of Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, that this would be this time that would be the end of the world as we know it, which would lead to this transformation. Right. Um, and so I felt really captivated by looking at all the different ways that people were talking about it, all of the like problematics and just, you know, feeling this longing mm -hmm. <laughs> um, for, for things the world to radically... To <laughs> and for something new to be reborn, you know, for right. like fundamental transformation and the ways that that directs people to look at different ancient prophecies to also kind of take from different cultures in a range of ways, which can often be very appropriative. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this song, um, there was something about it that just really, that just felt like a soundtrack to me of this time, <laughs> you know, of yeah. like, marching the hate machines into the sun. I mean, I also yeah. love the beat. I love yeah. the singer's voice, right. um, you know, and just like what could be this um, massive human effort to, um, you know, destroy and burn up these hate machines that we have created. Right. <laughs> and that our single star, our number one star, our only star can help us out with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. You it's know, so, so that there could be a possibility of a new possibility. And so right. there was something about the song that like spoke to me as like a soundtrack of that 
time and then people being like, oh, and the end of the world didn't happen. Well, okay, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's interesting to think about what is what is the end of the world even really mean? What is, Mm -hmm. you know, I've talked there's there's people I've talked to where we're, you know, always talking about the apocalypse and it's like, is it already happening or is it a you know, is it like a gradual apocalypse or a sudden apocalypse? Yep. It's hard to and and actually in the the time frame of the universe, this is all very you know sudden, not gradual. Yeah, but. yeah, that's definitely something that I think about a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and is on my mind a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, in terms of really looking at um, all of the contradictions and the vast range of human interpretations and fears and fantasies and desires and longings in apocalyptic narratives and ways that they can be summoning this deep imagination for like near and future distant apocalypse, um, as well as describing what we're already seeing. Right. Um, right, right. right? There's this like, you know, kind of funny, not funny joke, (laughs) you know, like a number of bookstores have put in their, um, windows saying like post, you know, the post-apocalyptic session section has been moved to current affairs. Oh God. I've right? not seen and, that yet. Yeah. And wow. so there's ways, right. That different apocalyptic or like speculative fiction or science fiction narratives that, um, used to talk about how bad things could get. Yeah. <laughs> um, describe a lot of what we're seeing, certainly in terms of like environmental realities, um, certain economic and social realities. And so there's ways that it's like, I'm curious about ways that um, fictional narratives that used to be further away in time and space, like, oh, on some other planet or Mm -hmm. like hundreds of years from now are coming closer and closer and closer to being like the day after tomorrow and right down the block and actually here now um and like what that helps us turn towards or turn away from and maybe that doesn't need to be a or but could be a and like what apocalyptic realities does certain forms of imagination and fiction help us turn towards yeah and also maybe help us turn away from by saying like okay this is you know not real and like keep it at some kind of a right. distance. It's separate. Well, and in, in therapy, we talk a lot about, yeah, like, um, you know, there being, there being enough of a distance from something that we can actually look at it mm. you know, that, that it's not so overwhelming or painful that you can look at it, but, but it's, but it's tricky. It's a tricky balance because yeah, it can be too far away. That is so interesting, not being a therapist, (laughs) Um, you know, but I'm so um, curious, like in these kind of conversations about what are some of the lessons and also techniques, Mm. you know, from exploring individual psyche and healing um, that are relevant for looking at therapy on a social or cultural or even national level. Right. level. And I think right. that's one reason why I've been so allured by looking at different types of apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic fiction is like, um, it's responding to something, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like, is this, you know, helping us to process real nonfiction types of horror? Right. Um, or is it keeping us in some kind of like obsessive repetitive where we're gonna, 
you know, keep talking about the zombie apocalypse as Mm -hmm. this joking, not joking thing that brings all these fears and anxieties really close, but also kind of keeps success successfully keeps them at bay because yeah. it's this like mock apocalypse. <laughs> mock apocalypse. Um, Ooh, I like that. You know. <laughs> um but it comes to like such this key question, I feel like, that animates so much of our times right now in so many different ways of like how are our imaginations being harnessed? Yes. Yeah. And where are our imaginations on this collective level being directed you know like what futures are we rehearsing um and how is that helping us both grapple with the present but then actually able to take steps towards these imagined futures and so there's such um you know competition over these battles of the imagination right now yes you know and it's like from sources that are um really liberatory and rooted in social justice and being like we need to stretch ourselves to imagine a future of a livable planet for complex life forms right like humans and uh extra humans yeah um you know and then ways that our imagination is also getting very much like funneled in other ways <laughs> yeah, well, that might be more fatalistic. Right, right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming one of those ways you might be referring to is the idea that like, fuck it, let's just go colonize Mars. <laughs> for example. <laughs> <laughs> for, for white men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's so yeah. like thinking about the fantasy, like I have, I, fa- space, space fantasies are so up there for me. Like I, mm, how I, so? well, I, I mean, I, I think I grew up with, with, uh, space talk. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Carl Sagan, uh, you know, mm. was a big part of my upbringing and I've always loved sci-fi. I, yeah. I love Star Trek. Like mm. I, I have a lot of fantasies about space and about mm. and and just on a deep exis for me it's much more existential than scientific. It's like mm-hmm, I mean mm-hmm. I'm not a scientist but and and I tend more towards the humanities. So I <laughs> like I feel so much about space. Like I when I imagine the vastness, it it overwhelms me in such a terrifying way. But mm. it's also something I'm very drawn to. And, you know, there's things I, I, I fantasize about space travel becoming a possibility, you know, for mm-hmm. re- regular people in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's a part of me that's like thinking about it more. I'm like, would I psychologically be able to actually handle being in space? Mm. <laughs> yeah. But, but you kind of, but like looking, so I look at all of that and, and ideas about, you know, uh, seeking out other livable planets, seeking uh-huh. out other life, like putting putting resources into that is something that's very exciting to me. Uh-huh. And then I also simultaneously strongly feel this like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, we need to feed the starving children. Like, we need to solve our environmental crisis. This is very self-indulgent bullshit. Mm-hmm. And both of those feel like equal to me in in like I, I feel them both so strongly. Yeah. As do I. 
yeah. yeah, I really appreciated all that you just said. And certainly like my interest is more coming from like an anthropological and psychological and existential place yeah. than scientific, though I am interested in, you know, different scientific developments that are making these imaginations more real and concrete. Totally. Um, yeah. While, you know, saying like, what are some of the questions we need to ask at this time? Like, um, one in terms of just <laughs> obvious ethical considerations of such incredible resources yeah. going towards, you know, fascinating silent, uh, science. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said silence. Well, also fascinating silence. I, I fascinating. imagine in space there's a lot of fascinating silence. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that's being said and a lot that's not being said or yeah. is like hard to say. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, terraforming Mars, right. which has long been, a, you know, a recurring theme in science fiction of like, how would this happen? Yeah. Um, what would be, you know, the obstacles that humans would encounter in terms of like the first colonies, in terms of making mm -hmm. Mars livable, you know, and now what's so astounding about this time like here we are at the end of 2019 it's about to be 2020 which oh. is itself has been such a temporal touchstone in sci-fi and now it's like right. yeah and we're here and yeah this is when we're supposed to have the war with the machines from terminator i think right which is like happening though right right right, right. you know i, I mean, know like the robotic it's a, moment it really sneak it really sneaks up here. on you <laughs> Yeah, in ways that are like that's very Boston mundane. Boston analytics, the like the, yeah. the robots that can do cartwheels and handsprings. Yeah, yeah. Algorithms, the yeah. fact that bots outnumber humans mm -hmm. online. Oh right. Um, you know, AI in terms of like strong and weak artificial intelligence, like strong AI going in these directions, which no one can predict. Mm. Like bringing of machine learning, you know, like being yeah. fed from data sets that are incomprehensibly large. Yeah. And so many of the people working on this, many of whom are white men, yeah. um, saying like, we have no effing idea what this is going to be. Like it is beyond our capacity to imagine or predict. And somehow it is inevitable. And this is where it's going. Right. Thanks, and guys. so those... Yeah, cool. Glad you are at the, in the driver's seat yeah. of our global realities. You know, but like that time is now here. We're already interacting yeah. with it um, in these ways that fiction has prepared us for in so many ways that are like right. dystopian as well as techno-utopian as well as like always, again, this existential thought experiment of like, what does it mean to be human Yeah, in relationship yeah. to different music? machines and what makes us different and we created these and is this relationship always just one of like domination and mm -hmm. exploitation mm -hmm. is it one that's transforming us both in ways that we can't quite imagine but yeah going back to what you said I mean like what feels so astounding about this time is ways that fiction and nonfiction are getting closer and closer and closer to the point like what we were just talking about, of like totally merging. Yeah. And that's definitely the case, right, with colonization of Mars. Yeah. Um, where it's like, here's all this science coming out all the time around like, here's this bacteria we've been working with that can help to terraform Mars. Here's a synthetic leaf. Um, mm -hmm. Ideas about solar mirrors that could melt 
you know, ice and create water, you know, like all of this. And it feels like, right, there used to be a lot of, uh, a lot of hopes and dreams <laughs> pinned on the year 2020. And now it feels like that year is 2050. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like a lot of stuff also in terms of, you know, pretty grim environmental reports, like 2050 is now yeah. the year when it's like, there'll be more plastic in the oceans than fish and things like that. And 2050 is this, it's like both close enough to be very alarming, but also far enough away, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll be 75. Mm-hmm. Then, well, and um, that, that's interesting, the proximity And we can only predict thing. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of like the proximity thing in that relates to me to the proximity we're talking about with science fiction in general. Yeah. Like how how is it, What is what is a distance where we will actually take action, whether it's mm-hmm. taking action to change our world or take action to face something difficult, mm-hmm. um, be, be able to turn towards something, but mm-hmm. not so far away that we can just defer it forever. Right. And that time, I mean, I wonder like when 2020 became the number, mm-hmm. is it is it like 30 years ago? Because now <laughs> 2050 is, I, I wonder if that, there's like a certain amount of time that's the amount of time humans tend to gravitate towards for that sort of mm-hmm. visioning. And like, yeah. and if that's changed because the industrial revolution has changed the speed of things, of change. Mm-hmm. So it changed change. Mm-hmm. very changely so yeah I don't know right yeah and we're like technologically speaking you know we have all these micro generations right, right like things right. are so different than they were five years ago and the ways that we're adapting so fast to different accelerating information and yeah communication technologies you know which shift yeah. our relationships our consciousness our capacities for solitude our Mm -hmm, politics mm -hmm. social life you know all kinds of things in ways that don't need to be in this good bad binary but it's like everything and beyond you know my Um, my brother is only four years younger than me and we're both considered millennials I'm like I'm nearer the cusp um, than he is mm -hmm. but he's only four years younger than me and there's there's a, a gap Tech, mm-hmm. a, te- a technology gap even from that mm-hmm. not massive but enough that like we grew up with different amounts of technology and that right affects things differently yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I mean you know bringing it back to <laughs> um apocalyptic ecological realities like here we are talking on FaceTime which yeah. is a delight and a wonder yeah on these physical materials that come of minerals that come for the earth, which is not only completely unsustainable in terms of all the different minerals that need to be mined in brutal and horrific ways, both socially and ecologically to create electronics, but also just these like mountains of our e-waste, which is like this monster that's hard to imagine changing since so much of our life lives on technology and like with all these I just think it's interesting of that uh that tension in terms of ways that we're talking about like virtual reality makes it feel like it's like untethered from the earth and and the cloud (laughs) like these data clouds when it's like all of this is connected with like the realness and hardness of what's here on earth and um you know, something that's 
been interesting to me in terms of looking at space colonization, um, yeah. not just of Mars. Um, you know, and it's also worth mentioning that, you know, this year, 2019, is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing, right? right? So there's right. been a lot of retrospective celebration and yeah. where are we now with space exploration? And Well, and only last year know, was the 40th anniversary of Voyager mm-hmm. going out into space and it's now past our heliosphere. Yeah. So, yeah, there's been a lot recently. Yeah. Yeah, and one of these new frontiers that I've been very curious about, um, which again sounds like science fiction, but is coming closer and closer to nonfiction and science fact, um, is asteroid mining. Oh, right. Yeah. And so this is this, you know, what's being referred to as a trillion dollar gold rush (laughs) industry you know and it's like the final frontier you know final for real for real this time yeah right um you know (laughs) but looking for minerals yeah you know a lot of which would help for the machines that we built Mm -hmm. um as well as to help with uh support different types of space settlements of human colonies um you know as well as looking for metals right and um water right and just the fact that, you know, in a lot of this, uh, the fantasy of Mars colonization, um, as well as asteroid mining, like so much of this is being driven by private companies. Right. Right. Like yeah. when I or we were kids, like the space race was like the Soviet Union and the U.S. Right. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. a lot of it is like Jeff Bezos of Amazon and Elon Musk yeah, yeah. of SpaceX and other private companies. I mean, NASA is also like with its OSIRIS-REx program um, spearheading a lot of this asteroid mining. Um, Mm. You know, but it's just, yeah, there's so much here. Like the the Wild West pioneer discourse is so strong in a lot of both like scientific and sociological discussions around space, um, both exploration and colonization, um, you know, manifest destiny yep. language is we like don't, we don't stop. really alive. We do not <laughs> stop. No. And that is where I feel like we need to take a freaking pause and yeah. say like, what is going on with this? Like, of course, this is dazzling and amazing that humans ha- have done the amount of exploration we have and mm-hmm. what may lie in the future. Um, and is there any kind of chance we could learn from our mistakes and right. also I mean, have like it's some scientific a... therapy about right. how we're projecting fantasies on this blank red slate of Mars? Yeah. I mean, it's such that's a re- happening. It's right? just manifest destiny is our repetition compulsion. Ooh. I just thought of that. Well, yeah. I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's like. And and one thing I was thinking of well, when you were talking about that was like, how interesting is it that there's more excitement from people, mm-hmm. right. certain people, to go make a planet that is totally uninhabitable, mm-hmm. habitable, mm-hmm. but not as much, I mean, not to say, but not from the same people as much enthusiasm to actually make this planet habitable. Right. When it's like already 
I, and I don't know if it's that. I, I guess I do relate to it. Psychologically, there is like an impulse to like be like a blank slate. Like mm-hmm. I want to start over. I like wanna... a re- yeah, it's a re- yeah. it's a planetary reset. Right. Right. And right. there's some like, you know, just uh, jaw dropping um, direct quotes. Oh, you've paused. I've lost you. <clears throat> well, let me uh, hang up on Zara and call her back. It would be interesting if when my guests were in the studio, this would happen. They'd just suddenly freeze mid, mid-sentence, and um, I'd have to shut them down and boot them back up again. So uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. This is the second to last show. And I have been speaking with Zara Zimbardo, though remotely, because of traffic problems. Um, And we are talking about the psychology and sociology of space colonization. Um, But I don't know how close we are since technology as it stands is dropping my FaceTime calls. Well, I'm going to try her one more time. And I'm going to play this. BFF.FM is raising $15,000 by December 31st, so we can hit the ground running in 2020 with some exciting new projects. Join us today at BFF.FM slash donate. With your gift, we can create a more unified sound across all our shows, as well as launch a new BFF.FM blog that keeps you informed about new music while providing paid opportunities for local writers. And, of course, we'll keep pumping out the jams 24-7 on the web waves and throwing shows around the bay, including our awesome monthly Besties Bash. When you give to BFF.FM, you're joining more than 800 of your friends and neighbors who also believe in the power of community radio to bring people together. So make your gift today at BFF.FM slash donate. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever. All right. I was just um, playing a little promo while, <laughs> while I was calling you back. Um yeah, wow. How are we how are we gonna colonize Mars? We can't keep this call going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I guess, we could I'm glad we could model that in real time. What could go wrong? What could go possibly wrong? Yeah, nothing. Um I'm sure it's gonna be perfect and it's gonna serve all types of people. Um well, and that's the, I'm not sure where we got dropped, but yeah. um, on that note of like, oh, this will serve all types of people or speaking in that universal language of humanity. Um, and it's like, yeah, who is this Ehlers interstellar fantasy for? And yeah. some of these quotes from Musk and Bezos about how on Mars we'll have gender equality and we'll have direct democracy. And it's like, wow, so yeah, we'll bring lots of equipment, but no baggage. Like, how is that going to, like, what is this promise, you know, about this 
um, planet named after the god of war that will help us know some kind of deep peace. Yeah. Um, you know, and the there's coming back to the I love that of the repetitive compulsion around manifest destiny. You know, there's such a long hist- centuries old history, right, of these like expansionist colonial projects whose economic logic is accompanied by these stories and narratives of distant lands yeah. that will make possible different kinds of freedom and prosperity and possibility. Yep. Um, right. And so that's very alive right now and very much, dr- you know, driven by the realities that um, some humans <laughs> and some of what humans have built is, is making the earth increasingly uninhabitable so what seems so literally out there Mm -hmm. um now seems like increasingly just a fact like to sit with that you know as earthlings that this fantasy now seems so viable and desirable and that folks are working towards that to make that real in a matter of decades and again like how are our, our imaginations being directed like our longings, our excitement, like you were talking about, like, why is it more exciting thinking about, ooh, we're able to create some simple life forms on Mars than to get excited about the complex life forms here who are suffering or getting excited about that we could start to create an atmosphere and like that, uh, you know, the wonder that a single cloud could appear on Mars when it's like, you know, I mean, one of the most apocalyptic news stories, which I heard some months ago was talking about like clouds disappearing on earth Mm. and a friend of mine who is a long time brilliant climate activist also new parent really had a breakdown you know like for people who are very accustomed to taking in a lot of this really grim data like the science is worse than is what is shared in a lot of the media yeah you know, but this is like, you know, the kind of water in which they swim. Like I've just been seeing folks around me really, there'll be like something specific, like imagining a future without clouds, imagining a future without pollination and bees, like different specific things that will just break open to this, you know, to this like heart ocean of grief and love Mm -hmm. and mourning, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, while, there's this excitement being tried, you know, tried to get riled up to imagine that we could restart somewhere else. Um, And there's a, there's a quote actually I wanted to share by sociologist Zuleika Zevayos on this, from this podcast on making new worlds, which is looking at space colonization Mm -hmm. um, where she says there's something profoundly unethical about the idea that we just discard our planet after we've done so much damage. Then we go without having learned anything and think that we're going to overcome the problems we weren't willing to do on our own planet. Wow. You know, and there's this way like, right, there's that famous quote um, by Frederick Jameson that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism, right? We have so many versions of that in our minds. When you and I spoke a year ago. Yeah. Right. This was in relation to some of like my monster research, focusing on the undead and like, why is it easier to imagine the zombie apocalypse than the end of capitalism or like a modest, sustainable shift in our economic (laughs) system? And so similarly, it's like not just easier to imagine caring for life on Mars, but it's also easier to do. 
Yeah. Which is fascinating. Not to say it's easy, like it is right. hard, but it is harder here. Yeah. You know, and the fact that more, there's been more human beings who have walked on the surface of the moon than have been to our deep seas, like deeper than 6,000 meters. Uh, and we uh -huh. know more now about the surface of Mars than about our deep seas um, is astounding. You know, I feel like that's an adjective I'm using a lot this morning. Yeah, it works. Astounding with all of the various synonyms one could find, mm -hmm. you know, and this excitement that we could find traces of water on the moon and Mars and asteroids when it's like, here we are in this completely outrageous <laughs> cosmic miracle of this planet yeah. filled with water that, um, you know, of our oceans and fresh water that, uh, you know, are being uh, destroyed. And um, one touchstone for me, you know, right, like 1969, first step on the moon. <laughs> and then in 1970, Gil Scott Heron came out with the song Whitey on the Moon. Oh, are you familiar with that no. song? No. It's a pretty incredible, kind of like a spoken word song, Yeah, um, which, you know, is amazing in terms of the year it came out where the discourse was so, the dominant discourse was like, this is incredible, giant step for humankind, all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and where he was bringing up this critique saying like, in his song, like, my sister Nell got bit by a rat and died and Whitey's on the moon. You know, and we've got mm -hmm. these like social mm -hmm. and economic problems here and Whitey's on the moon. Yep. Right. And so now, you know, is definitely the right time for a remix, if folks haven't done it already, <laughs> of Whitey on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where right. it's like a word that um, that I co-coined with some other folks earlier this year was Marsify. Marsify. Marsify and Marsification, where oh. it's basically... Like, okay, here's an intractable problem on Earth that we feel like we can't deal with, feels impossible, or it's not as exciting to deal with. Yep. So we're trade that to solve some kind of problem on Mars. Yeah. yeah. And do that um, projection and do that deferring and being like, yeah, democracy, no, no problem on Mars. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And as a way to like <laughs> escape inescapable realities through this be like, yeah, let's just Marsify that. Mm, that's that's <laughs> such a useful term. Have you, um, so I didn't actually say, we just dove right in, but you know, you are an academic, you you are a professor mm -hmm. at California Institute of Integral Studies. Mm -hmm. Have And you've done a lot of writing, you know, when I had you on the show before, you had done some some academic writing about zombies and, and other monsters. And, and mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, um, have you been doing... Have you been doing some writing about this topic? Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing some mostly research. Okay. And then some presentations. And I'm wanting to do more writing. Um, and I would love to also do, you know, collaborative writing or other types of creative forms that are basically just contributing to this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That is so alive right now. And that could be really interdisciplinary where it's bringing insights from you know, psychotherapy and mm -hmm. sociology and mm -hmm. post-colonial anthropology and geology and really, you know, from different fields and positions like shining those lights yeah. on all, you know, in terms of just like taking that time yeah. to say what are 
social, cultural, existential, ethical, economic considerations of this planetary moment that we're in, where there's so much, um, and how are the ways also that our eco-anxieties are being channeled um, as this relationship (laughs) with space, space tourism, you know, commercial space ventures, Mm -hmm. colonization of Mars, um, you know, mining operations on asteroids, you know, et cetera. Given that this is becoming increasingly real, um, how does this, what are our earthling considerations and critiques? And so I would love to do more work on this with other people and have been like my research has been very interdisciplinary in yeah. terms of like who are the different people that are thinking about this in different ways and raising um, and raising different questions yeah. um, that are also helping us see this as um, in some ways a very logical mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. fantastical continuity from this 500 year history of capitalism, right? Right. In terms of like constantly needing new frontiers, needing to expand um, all of the stories that go with the material needs, um, you know, and is there this a a way that this can help us make different sense of pasts and our present and our future at this time when, you know, there was just these amazing you know, youth-led climate strikes and different climate actions. And, um, you know, this is obviously the fight of our lives that will continue for the rest of our lives, yeah. you know, for our atmosphere and bio- biosphere. And to be able to imagine that um, there'll be future societies that we've helped <laughs> make that future possible for. Right. Um, right. And yeah. so I'm curious how perhaps Mars can be our ally right to help us come home right in a different way like with mm. all of the wonder and dazzle yeah here on earth you yeah. know and um uh Zen Buddhist monk Teknat Han um for a long time uh has done this really lovely, very poignant guided visualization as an entrance into walking meditation where it's asking people to imagine that they're on the moon, Mm. right? They're on the moon and feeling like how lonely it is there. And there's no birds and you Mm. don't hear the sound of wind. There's no grass like, or rivers Yeah, and that you're on the moon and feeling like welled up with this longing to be able to walk on earth and to be able to take peaceful steps on earth, right? So having gone through that visualization, right, then it's like, open your eyes. <gasps> Can <laughs> you even believe it? Here we are, you know? And and his, you know, as well as some other, you know, folks who he refers to who are Zen teachers saying, you know, the miracle is not being able to walk on thin air or on water, yeah. but to, be, to walk on earth. Mm, and to like so know... Yeah, to yeah. know that we're here and we're alive and the miracle of this planet. And so um, yeah, I'm wondering how, 
yeah, basically just, yeah, how this can help us come home as earthlings in a different way. It's funny because I, when I decided to play at the beginning of the show, I played um, a new song from FKA Twigs, I think called Come Home to Me. Um, Mm. And I didn't even really plan plan it Mm. out that way. I mean, I thought the title kind of worked, but also I just thought, oh, it's a beautiful song. I want to play it. And the more we're talking about this, the more the song fits, actually. It's so much about loneliness and isolation, but there's also a lot of really interesting stuff that's done with her voice that actually thinking back now brings in some elements of like outer space transmissions and stuff so it's fascinating yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm like this is this is about space in my kind of way where it's like space where space almost becomes a metaphor yeah but also it 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 goes both ways so Mm -hmm. i do um I want to talk to you about this for a million years, um, which is which is also why when you were talking about wanting to do more collaborations, I'm like, oh, my God, we should make Let's an do audio it. piece. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So like like an audio story that's very sound designed, that's very like emotionally connected, mm-hmm. but that talks about these issues in a way like I would love to do that with you. So um, let's, as would I. Let's. Let's uh, we'll 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 work on that for 2020. <laughs> that sounds yeah. That sounds you. Great. I mean, you were the first. You were one of the first guests on a, a therapist walks into a bar. I <laughs> know. Uh, so long ago when I was like, I'll just record people with my iPhone. <laughs> Yay! We're getting old together. We are How fabulous. We are. Um. So this is shifting gears a little bit. Uh, sure. Not a little bit. Sure. A lot, but. You know, okay. because we're talking about humanity, I guess not that much. Um, do you are you open to uh, discussing a listener question with me? That's a life problem. Sure. We don't have to have the answer. We just yeah. Have... No, then then great. Yes, <laughs> Can't, yeah. Didn't have any answer, but yeah, it's it's we're humans. Let's do it. Okay, so I'm gonna read it um, to you now. All right. Um, My boss drives me mad. He's indirect and passive and has for months been trying to get me to take on new work. But instead of pitching that work to me or directly asking, he just keeps asking me how much free time I have and what's filling my days. (laughs) That's obviously bad. And my question is not, how do I hide a body? (laughs) I realize that what annoys me about it, maybe even more than the work scenario, is that the passiveness is a trait I recognize of myself being performed Mm. almost to the point of parody by someone else. I'm struggling to unpack responding to the work drama while also self-reflecting on maybe I make people feel this way, but also Mm. not wanting to give my boss a pass or downplay it because I do this too. How do you make sense of these times when you see yourself in a situation you're trying to resolve? Um, I love, <laughs> I love this question. That's a great question. I'm really appreciating all the, all that went into it from the person who crafted it. Right. They're already doing a lot of self-reflection yeah. there. So yeah. in a way that makes it harder to answer because, because my answer, if, the, if it just been like, what do I do with a passive aggressive boss? I might've been like, well, you know what, you know, talked about self-reflection, <laughs> like, okay, you're doing self-reflection and they're already seeing themselves in the scenario, which is, I think, one of the hardest things because I, 
I have that come up a lot too if I'm having conflict with somebody, mm. whether it's direct conflict or, you know, repressed conflict. <laughs> There's that like, and I think a lot of it's my training and all the therapy I've done, but I can't, I, I, I do have a lot of contact with my shadow. And so mm-hmm. I can look at like, oh, oh, do I do that too? Oh, I can see, I understand where that behavior might be coming from or right. like, that's something I recognize in myself. And then, yep. but then you get stuck, like they're saying, like then it's like, but how do I do that and also still hold the other person accountable? How, mm. how can I still be mad at the other person or ask for something <laughs> different when, when you can get stuck on like, oh, but I do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting of like, um, those experiences where we, um, that the ways that we use them to like courageously wake up and turn certain forms of, you know, toxicity into medicine of being like, Oh, the reason why I'm having like such an emotional response or why this is so irritating is because I recognize it. Yes. It is harder. It's easier for me to see this other person than in myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and that is, um, takes a lot of, courage and humility um, in a way that I feel like doesn't need to necessarily detract from the different kind of courage that it takes to confront a boss with Mm -hmm. all of those power dynamics. Right. Right. Instead of just being like, well, maybe we're just all like this and who am I to say, but like, that's a really powerful place to come from being like, Hey, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I am grappling with this. Mm -hmm. I can hold some kind of compassion yeah. You know, that you are also wrapped up in this, um, you know, dysfunctional communication <laughs> dynamic. And I'm in a position where I can hold up a mirror. Yeah. That's not coming from some place of pretending that I'm so different. Right. Like I'm right. looking into this mirror. I can hold it up for you and invite that same type of bravery and humility um, to change a dynamic that's being like, harmful and unethical and gross and completely inappropriate, um, (laughs) particularly in that power dynamic, you know? Um, And I mean, I would wish for this person, I mean, just hearing it, like it'd be so helpful to have someone else there, you know, who has some kind of mediator or, you know, type of skills where it's like helping there to be a deeper sense of listening, which is particularly hard when folks are stretched thin, busy, Mm -hmm. like, oh, we only have five minutes to check in on this, to take the time literally to be like, when you are asking about what I do with my free time, why are you asking that? Because here's what I'm hearing (laughs) and here's the impact of that. And that's not okay. And it's not your concern, like Mm -hmm. to draw that boundary Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. while also, you know, being like, what are you asking when you're asking that? Right. And And can you ask it more directly? Because then I will respond more directly. And maybe my answer will be like, hell no. Yeah. Right. But then we are actually making contact. Right. Exactly. There's (laughs) like, there's a huge, it it sounds like such a huge, like, gulf there created by Mm -hmm. all this, like, sidestepping around and yeah passivity and which is also I just want to say like not the same right when you're in an employee employer yeah like one person has the power to punish in terms of livelihood and security and not the other way around right in terms of there being consequences for bringing up something Mm -hmm. like this and so I'm just really curious what that type of boundary setting looks like which also could take some work slash emotional labor work on this person's part 
right? All the kind of navigation to make people in power feel comfortable and not threatened enough to be able to get what we want. Um, but in terms of being like, you know, um, having that sensitivity around recognizing these patterns in themselves and being able to be like, I think what you're asking is this. Right. Right. And if so, I'll respond in a different way or, you know, totally. Yeah. Well, there's something that this is coming up here that comes up in other situations a lot. So I really, um, when I learned to do couples therapy, I was much more excited about it than I became in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because a lot of the training as a therapist does not go into power dynamics. I think it's mm-hmm. changing. I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. I think there's more talk about power and privilege and things like that. But it's mm-hmm. still like a lot of ways of conflict resolution um, or around like, you know, authenticity and interpersonal mm-hmm. contact come from this place of both people being on the same level. Mm-hmm. And so as a couples therapist, um, when I was working with, particularly with heterosexual couples, Mm -hmm. it started to become more and more difficult for me to figure out how to manage that when it's like, but there's still also the fact that this is a man and you're, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you're a woman or like, you know, and then thinking about, yeah, like this person can't approach their boss like an equal. It's their boss. Yeah. And so a lot of the training that I've had, uh, though is is really lacking in that part of the conversation Mm, of power mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know and you know psychology has quite a history of holding a lot of power while not talking about it so Mm. it's like it's it's just this this additional thing that I myself am trying to navigate too Mm is like what how do you hold those things in balance the parts that are like we're both human beings the yeah. parts that are like there's a system and a structure that we're existing within. And we're in these roles. particular roles. Yeah. 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 And I mean, as the case with like, you know, so many <laughs> situations, it's so important to not feel um, alone, right? Yeah. In terms of like feeling bolstered by recognizing patterns and especially mm-hmm. to not even when we're being like, okay, maybe some of the fault lays with me or I recognize these patterns in myself to not then be like, something's wrong with me. Right. And therefore I am not, you know, well, and um, the, able to address some of this like wrongdoing that I'm seeing, but right. like, how can that relationship be transformed of being like, you know, yeah, let's transform it. And w- also what kind of support and allies do I need so that it becomes more about the message and not just about the messenger who could be dismissed as like, Oh, you're a problem person or you always bring stuff up being like, no, we want attention on what's being brought up and yeah. that's coming from a bunch of people. Right. Um, so that it doesn't get like individually psychologized away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, and then unaddressed. problem, yeah. Yeah, and not meaningfully acted upon, which is a classic strategy of management. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, tried and true. There's something else that, that makes me think about though is like what to do with the part that's recognizing it in themselves. And this is this is like... Now, since 2016, I have not been like a huge, um, you know, uh, powerful advocator of of compassion for people who are very different from you. Um, Like in terms when they have power and privilege, I've been Uh kind of a snarky bitch about it. But Uh um, 
just like, you know what? Never mind. I'm tired of like trying to understand the Republicans, you know. Um, But I do think that when you are able to recognize your own shadow in somebody else, if you that gives you the opportunity to grow compassion for that part of you Mm -hmm. instead of because it's a it your shadow is stuff that you're casting out your shadow is stuff Mm -hmm. in yourself that you're rejecting right right so other people who trigger you might trigger you because because they're terrible but they might trigger you because they have a lot of qualities that you've cast out in yourself Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. that you want to reject because they threaten you And so if that, like for that aspect of this question, it is an opportunity to work with that part of yourself and see if you can bring yourself compassion around having those qualities Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And having that compassion understanding, I think like you were saying before, can help in facilitating a conversation. Yeah, I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, what comes up for me as a main concern is like, again, not knowing anything about this person Mm -hmm. beyond what they've shared or what that work, particular work environment is. Um, It's like certain types of change with that boss or in the hierarchical structure of that, you know, workplace may or may not be possible. That may or may not be what this person really wants to do, which can take a lot of work. And like, what's so important is to feel that our integrity is intact. Yes. And so like, what practices would support that in relation to everything you said? Yeah. You know, and just, you know, in terms of like, boundaries, in terms of like, clear, direct communication, because that's right when it's like, oh, I have this default passive communication style. I know that my edge is to speak in a different way. As we're saying this, I also, me personally, mm-hmm. can relate to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's like, okay, yeah. another difficult opportunity to practice. And wow, I'm getting like no shortage of opportunities to practice right now. <laughs> but like, what is my own well-being, the stakes for my own well-being around having my integrity intact so that it's not becoming this corrosive thing that's then festering, yeah. you know, within me. Um and so all the different ways that that could look like, that's what I hope for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so many people, this person, and also for myself. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And and I don't think that we have to, like, love every part of ourselves. You know, like, we can have parts. The tall of, order. Yeah, we can have parts of, well, yeah, we can't love every part of ourselves just because that's very hard. But also, like, even as a goal, like, sometimes... Sometimes the answer is to set a firm boundary with a part of mm-hmm. herself, you know, like the part of mm-hmm. myself that mm-hmm. wants to like, you know, like, I I don't know. I could also be compassionate and also set a boundary. I could be like, yeah, I really understand yeah. where your desire to like start a fight with this person on Craigslist is coming from, <laughs> which did happen on Saturday. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and what, however and and we're gonna not do that right now <laughs> because that's not how you what you want to put out into the world you know whatever I wasn't that bad it was funny um but you know it's like but but there is a point where I had to be like okay we're done now <laughs> you know yeah and and it was absolutely it, it really was like a shadowy part of myself that I was playing with and it was kind of funny and fun but also like okay And so when I and I think I was seeing it in the person I was arguing with Mm -hmm. this like desire to keep fighting when there was no point. (laughs) There Mm -hmm. was like nothing to keep fighting about. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's also just like as I'm listening to you and 
feeling all of this, you know, just right. There's also certain gendered dynamics present, you know, in terms of the ways that folks of different genders are perceived when they say no, when they say done with this, not okay. And draw that boundary um, in ways that that may be more like respected or not respected or pushed back on um, or seen as, um, selfish, right? right? So like often like, right, like women and femmes, like, oh, that's selfish somehow because you're supposed to not have boundaries and always be giving and always be listening and always be there for other people and somehow be like these fountains of infinite generosity, mm-hmm. um, even when it's like impinging on you in major ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that can be such a exciting feeling that like fierceness mm-hmm. of that clarity of just saying no also so that we can you know say yes right like yeah adrian marie talk brown talks about this in pleasure activism um it's coming up in, in a lot of different places is this really interesting relationship between no and yes mm. and like for us to be able to trust each other's no's so that we can trust that our yeses are authentic yeah yeah. You know, that like, I would be able to trust you that you would tell me like, I don't think that's a good idea or right. I'm tired and I don't want to do that. Yeah. So that when you say yes, I'm not second guessing like, wait, does Lily really want to do this space exploration work yeah. soundscape with me? You know, <laughs> right, um, right. that it's building some of that like trust and integrity and also as a practice of like self-care and community care that those yeah. can be generous and compassionate knows that are honoring it's not about detracting from anyone or anything you right, know right and then our yeses have so much to give and are not contributing to the ways that we can like self-exploit yeah um you know and as I'm saying this I also just want to own like that is a pattern for myself this is very alive stuff that I'm working on and ways that like I don't want to become a bitter resentful person because of the yeses that I've said yeah right oh I know same and and I think yeah we're we're far from alone in that for sure. Um, you have frozen again, and I'm going to hang up and see if you call me back. Um, so we can wrap up the conversation with Zara Zimbardo. We've just been answering a listener question about dealing with a passive boss who is a pain in the ass. Um, but before that, we spent quite a bit of time talking about space colonization, the apocalypse, uh, environmental just <laughs> despair. It's been um, a really awesome conversation, and I'm so glad I've gotten to talk to Zara. Um, but let's see if she is able to pick up this time. Community Radio. All your friends are doing it. 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 Best frequencies forever. Well, while I'm trying to reconnect with Zara, let me see. She said, is it over? Well, I didn't just hang up on her. That would be that would be a great way for me to end with you to just be like, okay, bye, but not even say it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I saw your, is it over? I'm like, oh. Right. No, you froze. Sorry, I just got abducted <laughs> yeah, yeah. by aliens. I do. I, I wanted to be able to have a real goodbye. But there's also, um, it's always nice <laughs> when people comment when the conversation is happening. And somebody, uh, Ben Ward, who does the um, No Magic Radio on Tuesday nights, was listening and wrote yeah. about our conversation about space colonization uh, he wrote, a lot of this discussion has me thinking about Watchmen and Dr. Manhattan's whole go make life in another galaxy on Europa thing. Considering mm. him through the lens of being a Musk Bezos cipher, mm-hmm. the dissociation mm. from humanity and lack of comprehension of what an asshole he is and so on. <laughs> um, yeah, this it's really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, that word dissociation just yeah. really um, is, yeah. Thank you, Ben, for naming that. Yeah. Yeah. Diso- dissociation, it's the, and it's a specific kind of dissociation that comes with privilege. Yes. Yes. And um, right when we're talking about the real ways that all kinds of hope and funding yeah. hope <laughs> is and funding. getting yeah. right projected outwards. Um, yeah the ways that this dissociation is taking form, right, is also with all kinds of techno-utopian fantasies, which are, again, like longtime fiction meeting nonfiction of like these cyborgian fantasies, which folks are really working towards in a huge way and with new developments all the time of like the transhumanist movement, right? That we would transcend our humanness. And it's this post-biological vision, right? Of like uploaded consciousness where we would be post-body, post-human senses, post-death, and also post-earth. And some of that is also animated by, you know, some sober reckoning with ecological realities. Um, And just like, for some people that is, yeah, it is utopia. Yep. It is dystopia. It is fantasy. Mm-hmm. It is like nightmare. Um, yeah. And just the death, fact death that it's circulating. Yeah. Which yeah. again is like very new, like, okay, these fancy techno spins on something which is very, very old. Yeah. yeah right. Of exactly. ways that people in different times and spaces have, tr- you know, tried to grapple with transcending, grapple with our mortality, grapple with what it means to be earthbound and to live in these right. instead of, instead soft, of funky like, bodies. Instead of ho- like doing what we can to go to heaven when we die, mm-hmm. which is a kind of immortality where, where it's like doing, doing what we can to, um, to build heaven and mm. immortality somewhere else maybe. Yeah. And again, like the connection may get dropped <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or stuff could get unplugged yeah. or yeah. the server stops working. Like yeah. that's a pretty fragile foundation for that. And you know, that, you know um, why? You techno know why heaven. <laughs> the reason that our connection has dropped a few times is um, because God is dead. Oh, yeah. Wow. I figured it out. I look. I looked up an error code on Google and it's like, oh, that error. And it just took you straight there. Yeah. It just was like, God is dead. I'm like, oh. That error. Yeah. Mm. That, that one. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So that's something to sit with. We really could not be too paranoid mm. at this time. No. <laughs> Zara, it's been... <laughs> so amazing to have you on again and just in the nick of time before the show is done for, for yeah for, oh my gosh for good um um 
radical advice is going to take off into outer space and colonize Mars and I won't be there for it because because I'm a woman. I don't know. <laughs> there won't be room for me. Um, but I really look forward to connecting with you soon and talking about uh, how we can collaborate on this more. And um, completely into it. Yes, me too. I mean, it's just it's such a great landscape for sound design too. <laughs> um, but yeah, literally infinite. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and congratulations. I mean, just on this incredible arc of this show and all the voices and themes and topics and terrain that you've traveled and make possible. It's really a joy and an honor oh, to be here you. at this, you know, bittersweet ends. Yeah. So, well, I'm yeah. I feel honored to have you here. So, um mm. so people can find you on the internet at zarazambardo.com and I know outside of your academic work you also do body work and is that website more focused on your your bodywork practice or that personal website is actually a place where all my different work lives oh, are there together perfect, since perfect. there's so teaching many. there's a lot of anti-oppression work and exactly. facilitation and um equity right. consulting we didn't, work. we so didn't even talk about the white noise everything collective. lives there yeah. as as one and will take you to various different websites so i love yeah. it it's it's your universal website your cosmic website something like that yeah Thank you so much for talking to me. And um, yeah, we'll check in soon. Thanks for having me. I yeah. look forward to it. Okay, bye. All right, bye. You have been listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. This has been such a wonderful conversation I've had with Zara Zimbardo. Um, and now uh, I'm going to play some more space songs for you um, because this is one of one of my favorite genres of music. And while I have um, played the music from the James McAllister and Sufjan Stevens um, album, you know, for, you know, many times, um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to play Mars, which I don't think I've played recently. But also just a, a reminder that BFF.FM is a community radio station. I've played you know, some of our promos a couple of times, but we're in our year end fundraiser and we've raised a lot of money, but we want to keep it going. We're doing this until December 31st. Um, we're trying to get another almost 10, 10 grand um, to keep this station really thriving and doing the amazing work in the community that we're doing. Even though my show is ending, I'm going to continue to be involved working on some podcast projects. And also, another way to support the station and benefit from the station is to show up on December 21st from 4 to 7 p.m. to our next Besties Bash, which is our monthly concert series um, organized by DJ Space Abuela of Abuela's Pantry, which is on Fridays. Um, so, yeah, definitely check it out. Go to BFF.fm and find all the information that you could ever desire. Um, yeah, here's Mars.
listening to Radical Advice on BFF.fm. Best frequencies forever. I'm Lily Sloan. Playing in the background is Arcid Orange Dwarf by Hannah Peel uh, from Mary Cassio Journeys to... Uh, Spotify is not showing me album names anymore. <laughs> Journey to Cassiopeia. I love this album. Just continuing on the space theme. Um... And the show is about over, but I wanted to say goodbye before I play the final song. Thank you so much for listening today, any other day, um, in the future, when you listen to this in the archives or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been such a pleasure to speak into a microphone and have it be heard somewhere by someone. Um, And I... Thank you to people who've written in questions. Um, Next week is the final broadcast. I'm going to be bringing in whoever of my fellow BFF DJs are able to show up on a Tuesday. I know not everybody's lifestyle or work schedule allows for that, but I hope to bring in some voices, new and old, and um, really celebrate the community that has allowed for this thing to happen and in a community that I will be part of for a a long time I hope and will continue to um, contribute to and and benefit from if you benefit from the show if you benefit from listening to BFF and other capacities um, you know that community radio is so cool and so much cooler than stupid corporate commercial radio And you get a lot of authenticity, a lot of diversity, a lot of um, music you wouldn't have heard otherwise, a lot of voices being uplifted or given a platform that you might not hear in any other place. And uh, yeah, so if you appreciate all those things and and you can go to bff.fm slash donate and help us meet our end of the year goal. Tis the season of, of giving Um, so this is one way you can give and yeah, uh, tune in next week, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific standard time for the finale of radical advice. Um, in the meantime, you can listen to so many other wonderful things on BFF. So I'm going to close out the show with really beautiful kind of melancholy song from um, the Karen O and Danger Mouse album. Uh, This one is called Reveries. Um, And I think it it fits the kind of existential aspect of the space theme and the metaphorical aspect of the space theme quite well. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Through space I fell
Um, 